Uh, but the text that we're going to look at is Colossians chapter 1. And the section that goes along with what we've been learning about starts from verse 15 and goes through verse 20. Um, it can be broken up that way at least. And that's the way I'm going to break it up today. Not that I'm going to go back and preach what's been preached, but uh, in order to use it for context, I'm going to read from verse 15 and go through verse 20, or actually 19. It says, uh, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. I'll go ahead and read verse 20 as well. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Amen. So I read that passage and focusing on verses 18 through 19, I, I, I was reminded that today, of course, is the day that the Lord has made and today is the day of worship where his universal church comes together and um, they, they fellowship with one another, they pray with one another. They may baptize just like we did today. Uh, we, we read the word together. You hear the word preached. Uh, all these different things happen in churches all across the world. There are millions of people who are gathered today to worship God. But sadly, um, not all are worshiping him, worshiping him adequately. Not all are worshiping him as he has commanded in his word. That's something that we have to be careful about uh, each and every Sunday for sure when we come together for corporate worship, but uh, we have to be careful of this in our own personal lives. Now, there's many reasons why this happens, but if, you're, if I'm going to speak in general terms, the reason this happens for many is that they don't understand who Christ is. And they don't understand how important he is to worship. They don't truly know the person of Christ, the divinity of Christ. Um, one of my favorite passages in the Bible is from Acts 17, 28. And it says, in him, in him, in Christ, we live and move and have our being. This passage, I don't know if you can see this from where you're sitting, but there's a piece of paper here. It's been here since... I first started preaching. I know it wasn't the first Sunday, but soon after. Uh, when I first got up here, I was really nervous and just, I, I needed something to calm my nerves and I, I needed something to tell me that there was somebody who was guiding me. There was somebody who was leading me. There was somebody who was working in me. And when I got up here every single Sunday to preach and I came upon Acts 1728 and it's been here ever since and every time I start to preach, I look at that verse and I remember in him we live and move and have our being. It's a very special passage for me and I hope it's helped the other pastors and preachers who have helped here because it's just a little gentle reminder that there is someone far greater who is working in us. 
Now, it is through him and it is for him that we have life. He is the one who enables us to live, but even more so to serve him. So if he is the one who enables us to live and to serve him, consequently, we must honor him as Lord and as Savior. But in order to do this, we have to know who he is. We, we, we can't serve him the way we want to, and that way will please him. There is a prescribed way that God wants to be served. There is a prescribed way that God wants to be known. So we have to be careful as he is the creator and we are the creation. We have to serve him. We have to know him as he has determined in his word. So in order for us to worship him and honor him as Lord and Savior, we have to know who he is. Well, that's the usefulness of Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. The teaching that threatened the church here in Colossae, that threatened the fellowship of that church, we can gather it demeaned the nature of Christ in some way. There's not much known about the actual heresy itself because Paul doesn't go into great detail about it, but we know that it attacked the nature of Christ. Well, Paul sets the record straight here in this letter, here in this section. And he does this to inform the Christians of that church of who Christ really is. Now, we get to benefit from that because we as the church, we can look at this passage and from what Paul wrote, we can come to know the nature of Christ and we can worship him as he has commanded us to worship him. So what's the big deal with what we say, think, and do with the name of Christ? Well, this passage helps us to understand what that big deal is. I want to give you some more context before I get into the, the, different, the two different points that I have. There's something very interesting about this section of Scripture that I really enjoy. I like things that flow well. Um, things that flow well, they help, they help me keep the, the, the thought processes in my mind organized. And as I look at this passage, it's so neat to see how one phrase pours into the next phrase. And so that's what we see. The flow of this passage is one phrase pours into the next, and it's all working towards this wonderful theological climax. Verse 18 begins with a conjunction, and. And since conjunctions join sentences or thoughts together, there is more to be considered. Starting from verse 15, this is what is said about Christ. He is the exact image of God. He is supreme over creation. By him, all things, and Paul says, by the way, all things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, by him, all things were created. 
Through him and for him was everything created. He is before, meaning in rank, he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. That is what is said of Christ thus far. Then we get into verse 18. And here, Paul begins to mention the headship of Christ over the church. Now, verse 18 is basically the way we're going to do it today is we're going to split it into two different sections. He is the head of the body, the church. That's the first proclamation that is made by Paul. As we see one passage flow into the next, we come to understand that whatever heresy Paul was addressing, it was threatening, that was threatening the church. It attacked not only the nature of Christ, but specifically it attacked the headship of Christ over the church. Now in verse 18, Paul establishes that Christ is the head of the body, which is, he explains it to us, which is the church. Now this is not the first time that he had used this analogy. In fact, Paul had wrote 1 Corinthians and Romans before he wrote this book, Colossians. And in those books, he goes on to describe that connection between Christ as being the head of the church and the members being the body. And in 1 Corinthians, his, his, his focus was on the uniqueness of the relationship of the body parts. He wanted us to know that we are connected and that our service to one another has a purpose and we benefit from that. So it was more related towards the parts rather than the head. He mentioned Christ and he said he is the head of the body, but he went more into detail about the parts. Well, here it's a little bit different. Here, Paul's focus is not the function of the body parts, which are the members, which are us, but rather the headship of Christ over the body. See, just as Jesus is the head over nature as its creator, Paul teaches that he is also head of the spiritual world as Lord and Redeemer. Listen to this from verses 16 and 17. For by him all things were created in nature, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. See, the implications of what Paul is saying here in verse 18 are enormous. See, this is what sets Jesus apart. When you open up the book of Hebrews and you start to read from chapter 1 and, 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 and you go through that book and it's just describing how Jesus is different. He, he's not a prophet from the Old Testament. He's not an angel. He's not just a great teacher. He is the son of God. And that's what Hebrews is explaining. It goes on to show us how Jesus is higher. Well, Paul, in a very, uh, a very compact way, tells us that Christ is higher than anything and everything. That's why I say the implications of this are enormous. He is the son of God. He is the king of kings. He is 
the Lord of Lords. And if you are in him today, he is the savior of your souls. He is all that. In fact, the writer of Hebrews puts it this way. He is the radiance, the glory of God, and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. What a mighty God we serve. But again, what's neat about this passage is how one phrase pours into the next. Let's look at the next phrase. It says, and he is the head of the body, the church. And then here's the second part. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Now, when you first look at this section, or this sentence actually, it, it almost seems as if Paul has moved to another divine attribute of Christ. It's like he's, he's shifting or changing the subject, but in reality, that's not what's happening. He's still teaching on the headship of Christ over the church here. He's already said that Christ is the firstborn over creation. Now, Paul says he is the firstborn from the dead. We talked about that term, firstborn. When Pastor Laramie preached, he talked about how, what that meant. Not that Christ was created, but that the firstborn is not of physical birth, but of prominence. Not of physical birth, but of dominance. Prominence and dominance over what? Over everything. He, he is the one who holds the authority over all things, just like a firstborn would. So it speaks of his prominence and dominance over the realm of nature and also the realm of the spirit. And as the head of the church, Jesus is the beginning of it. And that's why Paul says he is the beginning. He is the beginning of the church. And not only that, he is the highest rank of the church. That's why he is the head, and then he is the beginning. See, the reason why we can come to that conclusion is because of what the rest of the Bible says about Christ. He is over the church concerning time and rank. Uh, Christ is the one who brought the church into existence. Christ is the one from which the church receives its existence. In him, we live and move, and we have our being. He is Lord over the church. He is the one who began the new creation in the believer. The Bible says that when you believe upon Christ, the old nature was gone. and Your new nature was evident to all because God had done a work in you. He brought that new nature to life. Also, in Christ, we have our salvation. But even more so, because he doesn't just stop there. We have not only our salvation, but we have all other spiritual blessings that come from him. Yes, Jesus is the beginning of the church. He is the head of the body. Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. What does that mean? 
Well, Paul's in referencing the gospel. He was raised to life. That's what the gospel tells us. He was raised to life. He ascended to heaven. And he is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he's interceding on our behalf. It's because of him. It's because of him. The firstborn from the dead. That the other dead can rise. His resurrection is a guarantee of the resurrection of those who believe in him. Yeah, we have to accept that by faith. But his word is true. And the faith that he has put in us will never disappoint us. We will have life after death. We will be resurrected We're going to give up this earthly tent. We're going to be given a new tent. A restored tent. And that's all because of Christ, who is the firstborn from the dead. But there's more. As we look at our passage, verse 18, it says, He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead that in everything he might be preeminent. Now that's the second part that I want to focus on in this passage where I want to separate it from the first point. Um, When we looked at the first point, we saw that Christ had headship over the church. That's the first part of 18. Now the second part of 18 is the preeminence of Christ over all things. Again, one phrase pours into the next. Now, after considering everything we've heard, and that's, this is the reason why I read from 15 all the way down to 20, but when you go back and look at verses 15 through uh, 18, the first half of 18, we then read the second half of verse 18. And he says this, I'll start with the first half. He says, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything. What what does that mean? What does everything mean? We're going back all the way to when Paul started this thought in verse 15, that in everything he might be preeminent. Last week, I was sitting enjoying Sunday school, and Brother Mike Golke was teaching. And as he was teaching, he used a word that I really like. He said crescendo. And he's, he's, I don't even know if he remembers that, but he said crescendo. And I went, ooh, I like that word. My wife was sitting right next to me. I said it just like that. Ooh, I like that word. And she laughed like she always does at me. And I was like, I looked at her. I said, what does it mean exactly? Because I, I, I know in my head what I thought it meant, but I wanted to make sure Most of you have Google. I have Alicia. I don't have to go to Google. I just ask her what something means, and she lets me, she will tell me. Much smarter than I am. And I I said, what is that word? And she said, you know, it's a musical term. This is what it is. I was like, I really like that word, crescendo. And so when you look at what this passage is doing, it's working towards a crescendo. It's the highest point reached. 
basically in a progressive increase of intensity. Now, we use it for music. You're, you're coming to this climax in this song. Things get more intense. They get louder. Paul here, is, he's, he's doing the same thing with this passage. Every phrase that he goes, he's building upon the next and building upon the next. And, and it, it, this, this, this passage and the meaning behind it, the theological depth of it is just growing and growing and growing. And we're not even to the climax yet. We haven't reached the crescendo yet. But we can see the intensity continuing to grow. All that has been said in this passage was working towards this point. When we consider all things, Paul is saying Christ is preeminent. What does that mean? Well, I, I, I know Paul had to have really struggled writing something that described the power of Christ down. The authority of Christ. I, I don't think we have a word in the English dictionary. I don't think we have a word that exists that can adequately explain who Christ is in power, in authority. And, and the, the word preeminent is, is a great word. Paul's basically trying to say he is superior above all things. There is nothing greater than him. He has superior status over everything. And again, I cannot do that justice with the words that I'm sharing with you. Christ is preeminent in every way. Maybe sovereign is, 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 a, is a great word to, to use here. But not sovereign in our definition because we even mess up that word. We say God is sovereign and then we start trying to take power away from him. But he's sovereign in that he has all power. He does as he wills. Nothing is greater than him. He is transcendent. All these different words, we, we, we struggle to describe the nature and power and glory of Christ. But this is why Christ said of himself in John chapter 15, verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing at all. See, as Lord of the realm of nature, he blesses you with all that you need for life. All that you need for life. He, he has blessed you with that. As the Lord of the realm of the spirits, he blesses you with all that you need for godliness. So that in Christ, you have all that you need for both. Ephesians 1, verses 22 and 23 says... He put all things under his feet, speaking of Christ, and gave him as head over all things the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, here's a question that I have after reading this and trying to understand these passages. 
How is it that Christ can accomplish all these things? How? How is he different? How is he superior? How is he preeminent? Well, Paul answers that question in verse 19. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. This could have been read, for it was the good pleasure of the Father to fully dwell in Christ. See, the reason he can be all those things and and how he's able to achieve all those things because he's no man, no angel. He is God. That's how he can achieve all of that. See, with man, all these things that Paul talked about, it's impossible. In fact, we learned that lesson, very, very hard lesson. As we read through the Old Testament, one great man fails after another, after another, after another. There is no one who is without sin. And every time one of these great men fell in the Bible, it points to a Savior who was to come. Because with man, all that is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So I want to leave you with something that you can take home. I want to leave you with something that you have in mind to either say, to do, or think as it relates to this passage and and as it relates to the obedience of God as you study this passage and and try to understand it. See, since the fullness of God dwells in Christ, since he is God, we must honor him as Lord. Now, I know what you're saying. Wow, that's, that's that's a great conclusion. How long did it take you to think of that? Yeah, it's it's very simple to say, very hard to do. We live in a culture now that, or we live in a culture, society, that does not honor God. We live in a culture and a society that mocks God in different ways. We live in a culture and a society that has no reverence towards God. Well, we are the church. We are to be different than the society or the culture. See, Christ is more than just a meme. We see that a lot now, where it's supposed to be funny. But is it, is it really reverent toward the Lord? Uh, he, he's more than a movement. Sometimes the name of Christ is used just to change habits or behaviors, but not really change hearts. There's a lot that this world does. I mean, there's the the, the blatant disrespect and, and rejection of Christ, and we can recognize that. But I think where we get tripped up is that we, we get tripped on, on, on where it, there's gray lines, right? Where, where there's gray there. It's not really black and white. Mm, should I do this or shouldn't I do this? when it comes to the name of Christ, when it, when it comes to the honor of Christ. Well, Paul tells us that he is the exact image of God. He says that he is supreme over creation. He says that by him all things in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, were created. He says that through him and for him everything 
was created. He says, he is before all things. He says, in him all things hold together. He says, he is the head of the body, the church. And he says, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything, he might be preeminent. That's powerful. We think about the most powerful man, woman we've ever met. I don't know who that is. It's different for all of us. But we think about even the people who have influence over our lives. I, I, I like to notice how people act differently in front of different people. This, for example, at work, you're with your fellow employees, you're cutting up, you're having a good time, you're, you're, you're doing what you do as employees, the boss walks in, behaviors begin to change, right? But only slightly, because if it's a direct supervisor, he may come in and cut up with you, and, and no one's really nervous around the direct supervisor because he's around all the time. But what about when the manager walks in? It's a different rank there. People start acting a little bit different. But what about when the director walks in? What about when the vice president walks in? Or the president, the owner, what, you know, keep on going, going, going. The higher you go, the more reverence there is. Think about meeting someone who had control of your life, who could determine if you were going to live or die. You would approach that person with humility, with honor, with reverence. You would watch every word you said, everything you did. Christ is more than that. And I don't think we think about that enough. How do we honor him? How do we honor somebody like Christ? Especially if we believe what the word of God says. If you don't believe what the word of God says, okay, that's, that's a separate problem there. But I'm speaking to those who are in here who are confessing Christians and say, I believe everything that the word of God says. Well, if you believe what Paul is saying here, how are you going to honor him? Well, number one, we must understand that we were made through him and for him. We have to understand that. We have to put our life aside when it comes to Christ. Why? Because he's preeminent. That's why when we know we are living against something God has said, when we know we are living in sin, we have to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. We have to do that. That's what it means to be made through him and for him. It's not about what you want, what pleases you. You can make it about that, and certainly we all have. But in the end, we were made through him and we were made for him, not for our own pleasure. We must also understand that in him, we have life and we have life to the full. Without him, we are destined for wrath. 
He is the only way to God. He is the only way in which we receive mercy from God. We must also understand that we are his workmanship, that we were created in him, in Christ Jesus, for what? For good works. That reminds us, oh yeah, we are to be his servants. We are to serve him by serving the church. We must understand that without him, we can do nothing. That's both in nature and also in spirit. We can do nothing. We must also understand that all blessings, natural and spiritual, come through him because he has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And I'm just going to end this list right here because I can go on and on and on. Finally, we must understand that it is in him that we live, we move, and we have our being. Now, as far as applications go, that is what I've given you is in general. Now, I want to speak to the church. I want to speak to those who, who are members here. Not that I'm not sharing something with a visitor because the Holy Spirit is the one who preaches to all of us. But what I mean by this is I want to speak directly to those that I know what's going on in their lives, that I know what our church is struggling with right now. You see, it's good to know who Christ is because when life becomes difficult, we cling to him. When there is questions about faith, when there's questions about hope, when there's questions about the future, we cling to Christ. Here recently, there's been a lot of loss of life that has taken place within our church, and, and we're struggling with it right now. We have two members in hospice care. We have Sister Deidre, and then we also have Sister Brenda, who just entered hospice care. That affects many people here. But not only that, Sister Cindy lost her sister, Brenda. And then we're still praying for Sister Gloria with the loss of our brother, Bert. But even if you want to go back just a couple years ago, there has been loss one after another. How do you get through that? See, this loss of life is, is difficult. All the pain and all the struggle that come along with that. Sometimes it could be overwhelming. But you know what? Colossians 1, 15 through 20 tell us, Christ is still Lord. He's still Lord. In fact, he's the author and finisher of life. Knowing that, we need to cling to him. In some other situations, the enemy is attacking marriages and families. Marriages and, and, and families are just really struggling within this church. And, and maybe you don't know what's going to happen. And maybe you, 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 you can't find an answer. You don't see an end to this struggle. And it's just weighing on you and you don't know what to do. Colossians 1, 15 through 20 tell us, Christ is still Lord. 
We need to cling to him. Maybe you're fighting some sort of temptation that you've been fighting for a very long time and something that you've been struggling over and and, in some days it's good and in some days you fell to that temptation and you're living in a way that you know you shouldn't. You have been sealed with the Spirit. You are His. And you are struggling with going back to your flesh and and serving Him in the Spirit and you're wondering what's going to come of my faith, what's going to come of my life, what's going to come of my spiritual walk. I want to tell you, Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20, what they tell us is that Christ is still Lord. Cling to him. Or maybe, maybe you're in here and you've never believed. Maybe you've never had faith and you're like, I don't even know why I'm here today. I have no clue. Maybe I'm here just to watch somebody get baptized, just to support my family member. But you know that there's been an internal call for you to come to Christ, for you to to, to abandon your lifestyle, for you to trust in him and stop trusting in your own power, your own wisdom. You're just wrestling with this every single day. And the Holy Spirit will not leave you alone. And you're wondering, what is happening to me? I don't want to become one of those Christians. I don't want to become one of those hypocrites. I don't want to do that. Right? Because that's what the world says we are. We are sinners saved by grace. And if the Holy Spirit has been after you, if he's been speaking to your heart, then you're a sinner that's about to be saved by grace. Colossians 1, 15 through 20, tells you that Christ is Lord. Cling to him. Yes, he is the good shepherd. He is the good shepherd that leads you through life. And he is the one who will bring you safely home. No matter where you fit into these examples I gave you, call upon his name and he will save you. Let us pray.